God loves you, right? I mean, you know he does. I mean, I know sometimes you don't always act right, and so sometimes you may doubt the love of God, right? But God loves you no matter what. He doesn't love you just because you're good. He loves you because he's good. He loves you because he's just chosen to do it. God loves you. Take your Bibles. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. Neil did a remarkable job last week trying to take nine plagues or signs, as we learned they should be called, and deal with them all in one message. I appreciated the way he handled the scriptures last week and hope that I can do the same or as well this morning with this aspect of the Passover, one of the annual uh, celebrations, festivities uh, that the Jews would incorporate it into their faith, their, their walk with the Lord would be the Passover. And that's what we're going to, to kind of be looking at uh, this morning. Uh, the Passover is instituted here, and you've uh, probably already got a good idea why it's called the Passover. If not, you will, I hope, by the time it's over this morning. But uh, again, the Passover for the Jews was a commemoration a remembering. I titled my message this morning, Remembering Our Rescue. God wanted the Israelites to always remember what he had done for them when he brought them out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, people are instructed never to forget how God's mighty acts, how his judgments upon Egypt, Egypt's gods, uh, ultimately provided the way for them uh, to freedom, to the promised land. Uh, and again, they were, they were instructed never to forget or to let the people of God who weren't there. You know, what's, what's interesting here is that these Jews who would be delivered from Egyptian bondage, those who would ultimately make their way uh, through the Red Sea uh, and uh, cross the Jordan River, uh, most of them would never, would never really see the promised land. Uh, their lack of faith in the wilderness would, uh, well, anyway, would cost them their lives. Uh, and so most of the people who ultimately did cross the Jordan River and go into the, the promised land were those uh, who had not witnessed with their own eyes uh, the miracles, the signs that God did. And so they were to be instructed. They were to be reminded. They were to be told what God had done. This, this deliverance, this exodus was to be remembered and celebrated throughout all the generations. And the Passover is still celebrated uh, by practicing Jews throughout the world right up to this very day. God had graciously spared them from destruction and death, and they were to never lose sight of that great event, never to lose sight of the grace of God. Uh, it, really, we could say that the Passover for the Jews was to be their continual testimony of the saving power of God in their life. Now, I know that as Christians, most of us have heard that word testimony. Matter of fact, we've probably been told that we, we have a testimony and we should be able to share 
our testimony. And, and typically when we use that word testimony uh, or sharing our testimony, we think about the specific or the particular events, times, circumstances that surrounded our own salvation. And let me tell you, that's an important thing. Every one of us has, has a different experience, right, in the sense of the circumstances that we were in, maybe the particular sins that were troubling or besetting in our particular case, maybe the circumstances in which the Lord opened your eyes to the reality of your need for a Savior. All of us are, are a little bit different in that way. Um, we can all remember what our life was like before we became Christians, right? And let me tell you, I think it's a good thing to never forget what it was like to be lost, uh, because I think in remembering what it's like to be lost, again, you remember the graciousness of God in saving you. So we can all remember and should remember what our life was like before we were saved. I think that's a critical aspect of our personal testimony. Uh, it will allow us to identify with those to whom we're sharing our faith. If there are people that we are hoping will come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, we want to identify with them, all right, in their plight, and we can. We were all lost at one point. We know what it's like to be lost, and I don't think we should ever lose sight of what it was like to be lost. Of course, we also want to remember how God ultimately saved us, how he came into our life. You know, my particular circumstances were uh, right here in this church, uh, 1982, uh, on a Sunday morning in February. I was seated right down here. Uh, of course, the pulpit was over there at the time. Uh, and the invitation was given at the end of the service. I had never even really remembered hearing an invitation given in a service before. I had no idea what I was being asked or what anybody was being asked to do until my brother-in-law put his arm around me and just said, James, don't you think it's time you gave your heart to the Lord? Well, that was exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> and so he helped me. Uh, he walked me down the aisle. He introduced me to the pastor who uh, handed me off to the Minister of Education, Brother James Williford, who led me through that door right there, and I sat on the stairs leading up to the baptistry, and I prayed to receive Christ. And everything changed at that moment. Everything changed. I, I walked out of that door a different person than I walked in. But those are my unique remembrances, my unique circumstances. Yours, yours may be different, but you need to be able to share with people. They can, they can relate to what, it's like, to what your life was like, or you can relate to what their life is like as a lost person. You can talk to them about what God will do, even for someone like you. You know, I, the, the reality is if God will save someone like me, let me tell you, he'll save you. He'll do it. And of course... Certainly we ought to be able to share with people what our lives have been like since God has saved us. The blessings that are now ours. Uh, the family that God gives us. The new friends. The, the, the church that God allows us to become a part of. The service that God gifts us to do. The, the significance that our life suddenly becomes in light of God's saving Grace, all of these things are involved in our personal testimony, and we ought to be able to share with people how we were saved, and we ought to be able to do it with great joy in our hearts. However, and I think with the teaching on the Passover, we should also be able to share a testimony of our common faith 
and salvation. Even though my particular circumstances of salvation may be different from yours, I was 24 years old. Some of you might have been young. You might have been saved in vacation Bible school or at church camp. Uh, who knows where you got saved? I was saved in a revival meeting. Some of you might have been saved in the living room of your own home. All of those circumstances are different, but the reality is, if we've been born again, we all share a very common experience. And just as the Jews were to share their common experience in the Exodus, we should be able to share our common experience in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to be able to share with other people how to be saved. What the gospel is, what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Like the, uh, the Jews in, in Egypt, we were all once slaves, right? Slaves to Satan, slaves to sin. We can't put our place in the, in, in, in the place of the, the Jews under Pharaoh. We were never slaves to Pharaoh. We never had to make bricks uh, for Egypt. But we were nonetheless slaves to sin, um, slaves to, to Satan. All of us, the Bible says, were once without God and without hope. All of us. But God, in his love, sent us his Son, our Savior. Jesus Christ. Uh, of course, the Bible teaches us that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life. He fulfilled the law to the very letter of the law. He fulfilled it completely, doing what, what we could never do. Jesus did that. Jesus was our lamb without spot or blemish. He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. He died on that cross. He died the death that we should have died. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death and hell. Forty days after that, he ascended to heaven where we now know that this very moment, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in the place of Power, and a matter of fact, all power and all authority, Jesus says, has been given to him. He sits in that seat of power and authority, and the Bible says that he will forever live to be our intercession, which means, yes, he prays for us, no question about it, but also he is our way, our access to God. As a matter of fact, he's our only way, our only access to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. We are to urge people through this testimony of our common faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That applies to individuals no matter what circumstance they may be in. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the message that we're to proclaim. We share this common salvation. And when I say common, I mean in the sense of if you're going to be saved, that's how you're going to be saved. Only through faith in Jesus Christ. The Jews were about to be delivered from Egyptian bondage. They were about to experience a common event that they would share in for the rest of their lives and that they were to commemorate and celebrate for the rest of their lives and even beyond their lives because as they shared this remembrance with their children and their children's children, they then would be responsible for sharing it with their children 
and their children's children. So I just want to read the first few verses of Exodus chapter 12. We'll read some more as we go along here. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron um, in the land of Egypt, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you may keep it, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. These instructions may sound a little strange to us. I mean, we've just come through the first nine signs. We are headed into, the, of course, the, the final and, and most deadly sign, the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. And so in preparation for that, God gives these instructions to Moses and Aaron. And of course, as we read on, we're going to find out that then in turn, Moses and Aaron give these same instructions to the people of Israel. There was something that they needed to, to do as they prepared for this final sign that was going to come about. And, and I just want you to notice, I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I do want you to notice because the, the chapter starts with this. He says, the month shall be for you a new beginning of months. It, it shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, the particular time of year when all this was taking place, we understand to be sometime about the same time of year we're in now. All right. It was in the early spring of the year. Traditionally, all right, Israel and, and most civilizations operated on an agricultural calendar, which would mean that the first of the year would typically come around harvest time. In other words, in the, in the fall of the year. But God is saying, I'm about to do something for you that merits a new beginning, a new calendar. I want you to have a, a new Calendar and the first of the month, the first year or month of the year for you is going to change. It's going to be this month. And there's something that I want you to do every year on this particular month. So the deliverance of the Jews would entail this new beginning, this new calendar that would go along with their new way of life. And let me just say this. The newness that comes with knowing Christ as your Savior and Lord is every bit as significant, perhaps more so than the significance of the deliverance of the, of the Jews from Egyptian bondage. And, and again, this idea of a new life, a new beginning, a new start, there is a spiritual reality to that. When you come to know Christ, as I said, when I came out of that door, I was a different man than the man that walked into that door. It was a whole new life for me that began in that moment. And I believe the same thing is true for everyone who receives Christ Jesus by grace through faith. So this deliverance of the Jews, this exodus, would involve a new calendar, a new beginning, uh, and a new way of life. And so then comes the instructions concerning the, the sacrificial lamb. And it's not really referred to as a sacrificial lamb, but, but the language, at least not here. Uh, the language would indicate to the Jews exactly what, what Moses and Aaron 
we're talking about. Every man shall take a lamb according to his father's houses. Uh, the lamb shall be without blemish, a male, one year old. Take it from the sheep or the goats. Keep it until the 14th day. They were to keep that, that lamb for four days. And then the entire assembly of the congregation of Israel, together, in, in unity, all at once. Again, this wasn't just a handful of families. There were millions of people, millions of Jews in Egypt at this point. And all across Egypt, these Jewish families on this night at twilight would sacrifice their lambs. And they knew exactly what that sacrifice represented. It was a sacrifice for sin. They knew it. And here's the thing that I think we sometimes lose sight of. Why was there this need for the Jews to make a sacrifice for sin? Well, the reason was because they had sinned. They were every bit as deserving of death as the Egyptians. And I know a statement like that may shock some of you, but it shouldn't. The Jews had been in Egypt for hundreds of years now. And let me tell you, you know what happened to them as they were there in Egypt? They began to conform to the customs and the religions of the, Hebrew, of the, uh, of the Egyptians. Uh, many of them worshipped Egyptian gods. They had sinned against God. Again, every bit as worthy of death, even as as Pharaoh, it shouldn't shock us. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, again, a verse that perhaps many of you have memorized, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you want to get in trouble sharing your testimony today? Go out into the world and tell the world you've sinned, you've fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody likes to hear that, but it's the truth. The Israelites in Egypt were just as deserving of death as the Egyptians. They had sinned just as much as the Egyptians had. Uh, we tend to think of this wicked, cruel, hard-hearted Pharaoh. But let me tell you, there were wicked, cruel, hard-hearted Israelites in that group. They needed a sacrifice. What does the Bible say? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, no forgiveness of sins. The Israelites would sacrifice a lamb or a kid for their sins. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And of course, Paul goes on to say in the sixth chapter of Romans that the wages of sin is death. So we could say this morning that all of us, just like all of the Israelites and the Egyptians, are deserving of death. So why is it that we're here this morning alive? Because of the grace of God, right? The grace of God. We are only saved from death by God's gracious gift of His Son, who shed His blood on the cross to satisfy God's wrath and to take away our sin. And what's interesting here, have you ever thought about where these lambs came from? I mean, if the Israelites were indeed slaves in Egypt, I mean, we think of that and made them work as hard as they worked. I mean, how did they have the means to even have a lamb? Well, again, it's the grace of God. They had homes to, to eat this meal in. They, they had lambs to make sacrifice for their sins. Why? Because even in their slavery, God was with them. God was providing 
for them. God is the one who always provides, right? He's the one who provides the lamb. Abraham found that out, right, when he was called upon to sacrifice his son Isaac. Can you imagine what it must have been like for a father to hear his son ask this question? Dad, we've got the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham knowing all along that the one that was asking the question was the sacrifice? But of course, Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son, did he? Why? Because God provided a lamb. And the reason that you and I will not experience death because of our sin is the same reason. God has provided a lamb. He sacrificed his own son, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Israelites needed a sacrifice for sin. We need a sacrifice for sin and God provided that sacrifice in those year-old lambs without blemish. And at twilight on that day, the 14th day of this new month, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel was to kill their lamb. And then very clear instructions on what they were to do with that sacrificial animal. Look at verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood... And put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Don't eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head, its legs, its inner parts. And then you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet... Your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And here's why we use that word. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. That's what we've been leading up to, right? That's what Neil was talking about last week. All of those plagues represented judgment upon the gods of Israel and their they're coming upon all the gods of Egypt. I will, I will execute judgments, not, not Israel, Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The lambs were to be killed our English Bibles kind of clean up the language there. It's a, really a word that means slaughtered. They were to be slaughtered. Their throats would be cut. The blood would be drained from them. And then that blood would then be smeared upon the, the door frames of their homes, the homes in which they would eat this Passover meal. So in other words, what is being taught here is that the lamb would die rather than the Israelites, all right? The lamb would die. Its blood would be smeared on the door frames of the Jewish homes. Then the lamb, the body of the lamb, would be roasted and eaten by the family. The lamb would literally provide the sustenance, the nourishment that they would need for their new life. 
The meat would be consumed along with unleavened bread and, and bitter herbs. Again, both of these symbolic, the unleavened bread representing the urgency of their need for deliverance. The bitter herbs would be a reminder to them of the, the, the bitter lives that they had lived in slavery there uh, in Egypt. Uh, they would eat this meal and notice it, even down to how they were to dress they would eat this meal with their belt fastened. Why with their belt fastened? Well, again, the flowing robes or garments of traditional uh, Israelite uh, wear would, would hang down around their ankles. And, and it wasn't very convenient for being in a hurry. If you, if you were in a hurry, you had to get somewhere. You would take that garment and you would tuck it into your, your belt. All right, You would fasten your belt so that your legs were then free to move. That's the idea here. They were going to be leaving. And they were going to be leaving in a hurry. So they were to eat this meal with their belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet. Again, traditionally, Jewish people would take off their sandals when they came in from the dusty fields or dusty streets. They would take off their sandals and leave them at the door. Their feet would be washed and they would be barefooted in the house. But not for this night, not for this meal. They would have their sandals on their feet. Again, an indication <clears throat> that they were about to be leaving with your staff in your hand. Again, no Hebrew father carried his staff around in the house with him. But on this night, he was to eat this meal with his staff in his hand. All of this symbolic of what the Lord was doing in delivering them from Egyptian bondage. And then, of course, the scripture says they would also eat this meal in haste. Again, everything representing their readiness to begin their new life that God was now providing for them. So again, how does this all relate to us? Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Jesus is our Passover lamb, all right? He is the one who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Paul says of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, but he says, For our sake God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so what, what we're talking about here, what's being foreshadowed for us in the Passover meal and what came to reality in the person of Jesus Christ is that we need a substitute Someone who will take our place, bear the wrath of God, and take away our sins. Again, that's why Jesus is referred to as our propitiation in the New Testament. God poured out his wrath on his son. Therefore, there's no wrath left for us if we are in Christ. As Paul said, there's now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. We have a substitute, Christ stepped in. He took our place. He died the death that we should have died, just as these lambs died the death that the Israelites should have died. This was a, a substitute for sinners. These men and women were, were, were sinners, and they needed a perfect sacrifice, this lamb without blemish, Jesus again, our Passover lamb, our lamb without blemish. So now when God sees us in Christ, washed in the blood of the Lamb. He sees us not as sinners, but as saints. He sees us as under the blood. And to use this Old Testament language, He passes over us. No wrath for the saints of God. 
So, these little lambs, these goat kids were, were a substitute. Again, and this, this whole system of sacrificial offerings, substitutes, throughout the centuries to come, Jews would make sacrifice of lambs and goats and bulls and just about every other kind of animal you can imagine as a symbol of the substitutionary atonement that would ultimately come to reality in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus has become our substitute. He laid down his life for us. And so we, like the Israelites, should never forget what God has done. This whole Passover speaks of our need for a sacrifice because we've sinned. It speaks of this substitutionary atonement, a lamb's life for our life, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, giving his life for our life. And it also becomes what we would refer to as a sacrament, a sacrament for salvation. And and just for today, uh, a sacrament, I am referring to a religious rite or ritual that symbolizes and reminds the observers of that rite or ritual of the grace that we have received from God. The Passover was to be a continuing reminder. It was to commemorate and to celebrate the deliverance from Egyptian bondage. It was to celebrate the grace of God poured out upon his people. And of course, we have a sacrament today by which we do the same thing, right? It's called communion or the Lord's Supper, all right? This, this reminder, Jesus said, every time you partake of this meal, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We remember what God has done for us through the, the observance of the Lord's Supper. The, the, the elements of the supper, the bread and the wine, again, are, are symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is, it is a time for us not only to remember what God has done for us, but to celebrate what God has done for us. That's what the Jews were to do annually on the Passover day. And by doing this, then, and by our doing it today, it would be a means by which their children would learn about God and the life that he provides for those who trust him. Again, as we will see, or if you read on in Exodus, you will see that, that this Passover, along with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which I'll deal with in a couple of weeks, these were to be annual celebrations, an annual week of celebration. And it was to continue from this day forward, right on into the, 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 the promised land. They were to continue this annual celebration, this remembrance of what God had done, And as they did that, again, these children who would be born to them, who had never lived in Egypt, who didn't have the, the benefit of having passed through the Red Sea on dry land, who didn't see Pharaoh's army swallowed up by that sea, didn't see the miracle of God holding back the waters of the Jordan River, didn't see any of that, but they'd learn about it. And church, it's a reminder to us of the importance of passing on our faith to our children and our children's children. Why should I be able to share my testimony? For the sake of my children and my children's children. Why should I be able to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ and to share with you and others how a person is saved? For the sake of my children 
and my children's children. The Israelites were to be able to say, again, Moses even writes here, when your children ask what you're doing, what is this all about? You say to them, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians. And again, how does that translate into New Testament language? By God's grace, we are saved from his wrath because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, We experience no condemnation because Christ Jesus took our condemnation. He bore the wrath of God on the cross. He paid the price of sin for us. By grace, through faith, we get to enjoy the blessings. And we should never lose sight. We should never let our families lose sight. You know, I shared just a a, a kind of a brief little portion of my personal testimony. And as I prepared for this message, I was reminded how important it is. You know, my grandchildren need to hear my testimony. My grandchildren need to hear me talk about the wondrous work that God did in my life. How he changed a, a lost sinner into a saint who became a pastor and a preacher of the gospel. My grandkids need to to hear that. They need to hear it from me. My children need to hear it. Your children need to hear it. They need to hear about you. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I I think sometimes we get so spoiled, uh, you know, that we think that somehow, you know, ah, my kid will hear the gospel in Sunday school or vacation Bible school. You know, they always share the gospel in vacation Bible school. And we will. But the responsibility for teaching your children about the grace of God and the gift of salvation is your responsibility. You need to know how to do that. To share what God has done for you and to share how God saves sinners. And again, we do this by gathering together in church, sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word, observing, celebrating the Lord's Supper in remembrance of God's gracious salvation. Just as these Jews were never to forget, and the way that that would happen was that they were never to stop telling this story. That's what, that's what, the God, what God is saying to us this morning. Never stop telling this story. Because if you do, you'll forget. I mean, the Jews had, many of them had forgotten while they were in Egyptian bondage. They had forgotten who God was and what God was. They had forgotten the love of God, the grace of God, the blessings of God. Now they were being reminded in glorious fashion and they were to never forget again. They were not to allow themselves to forget. They were to tell this story over and over and over again. Sometimes when my kids talk about asking me questions when they were young, you know, they'll say something like this. You know, we asked Dad a simple question, and it took him 45 minutes to give us an answer. <laughs> Others would say that when I gave those answers, I repeated myself over and over and over again. That's why it took 45 minutes. But you know what? Some things bear repetition. God repeats some things in Scripture, doesn't he? You know, I'm not comparing myself to God here. I'm just saying that some things bear repetition. Your kids need to hear your testimony more than once. They need to hear you talk about Jesus Christ, the grace of God, the sacrificial atonement that Jesus provided for you on the cross of Calvary. They need to hear you talk about that a lot, not just once. A lot. It's to be a sacrament for salvation, a remembrance 
a commemoration, a reminder, and for some, an instruction, just letting other people know what God is and what God has done. We're never to forget, never to lose sight. You know, at the very end of this chapter, beginning in verse 43 through the end of the chapter, there's kind of a, an appendix here. Uh, Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. Now, up until this point, he's just been talking about how the Passover is to be commemorated. Now he says, look, no foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave who is bought for money can eat of it after you've circumcised. Remember, circumcision was the mark of the covenant, right? So by being circumcised, you were identifying yourself with the covenant family of God. And so if you were a slave... Not a member of the family, but a slave bought with money. You could eat of the Lord's of, of the Passover if you were circumcised. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it, but it shall be eaten in one house. Uh, don't take any of the flesh outside of the house. Don't break its bones. Again, all foreshadowing the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. In other words, the question that I would leave you with is this. Who is the Passover for? Is it just for the Israelites? Well, this chapter or this paragraph would tell us no. It's not just for the Israelites, but it's for all who would put their faith and trust in God. All who would identify themselves with the covenant community. The question for us is this. Who is salvation for? Well, it's for all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Some people think that they are somehow beyond the reach of God. Maybe they have sinned so egregiously that God just would never be able to save them. Uh, let me just assure you that's not true. Who is salvation for? Well, again, according to these verses, it is for all who will trust in the Lord. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's my close for this morning. If you have never trusted in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, call upon his name. Salvation, the salvation of God is for everyone who will put their faith and trust in God's Passover lamb, Jesus Christ call upon the name of the Lord.